going? Sure. Are you okay? Yeah, I need. I, I'm drinking out of a mug that doesn't have a handle. Oh man, you need it. For me, I'm doing those. <laughs> for me, when you drink out of a mug, you gotta have a handle. Important. Yeah, All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us uh, here on the Antifada. I'm talking with Anders Lee. Anders Lee here. He's drinking uh, Kratom tea from a mug, as he often does this time of night. That's right. First time, long time, by the way. And you're here to educate our audience uh, on uh, uh, the subject of autism. It's Autism Awareness Month. Autism Awareness Day was April 2nd. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. And yeah, so we missed that. uh, But we're still in April. Uh, I guess they chose April because of the A. Uh Uh-huh. So you're going to talk to us about the history of autism, autism in popular culture, uh, your own history of autism, and and your theories of autism, and lastly, why why it needs to be destroyed. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yes, and uh, just to get clear off the top, by that I I definitely mean – uh, molding people's uh, brains and eliminating it out of shit. Uh, Just going into story. the human genome, detecting autism early, and you know, making sure that that doesn't right. continue to inflict the human race. Right, which is how I, I might say most people see it. Um, but of course, my my sarcasm fell flat there. My granite hasn't kicked in yet, but. What my mission is, is to abolish the term because I don't think it, I think it's been counterproductive and also has a history in eugenics. Um, and uh, we would be better off without it, without the term autism. Yeah. So I am uh, an autism abolitionist, as you said. Right. Um, uh, the, uh, the communist collective theory communist, I believe, once wrote that identity becomes a goal and then it becomes a barrier. So I think – right. Uh, over the course of this discussion, we'll talk about how uh, there there began to be this self-identity around autism with uh, autistic people advocating for themselves against groups like Autism Speaks, which is more mm-hmm. uh, you know paternalistic, yeah. um, and then maybe your, your critique of that. So that should be a pretty interesting discussion, um, but uh, where, where would you like to get started with that? Uh, well, I guess we should start. Well, do we want to start with me or the history? I guess is the question. Yeah, why don't you? Uh, I mean, not everybody listens to Pod Damn America, although they should. Sure. So maybe just let people know a little bit about yourself, and uh, you know, disclose the government that you work for. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I am uh, an employee of Russian state media. To be clear, and uh, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Um, but uh, and that this really has nothing to do with my my profession there, uh, or that much to do with podcasting. This is a side thing, a me thing, if you will. Um, but I was diagnosed at, at a young age with several things. One of which was pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. At the time, that was part of the autistic spectrum along with some of my other diagnoses, nonverbal learning disability, uh, sensory integration disorder, all this shit um, that was conveyed to me as kind of set in stone. There are people like you born and they're different from other people and they have their own you know, unique sort of profile. Uh, and uh, so growing up, I thought of myself as on the spectrum. Um, 
because that was kind of the running thing. That, this was in the 90s uh, when the Spectrum was kind of being introduced and all these different just overlay overlay on, of, of diagnoses uh, for behavioral things. And um, then as I grew older, I um, – not to get super personal here, but I, I it, something I really became – pretty uh, embarrassed by and ashamed of. So it's something that I really never discussed with anybody until um, a couple, a few years ago when I was kind of uh, on the ropes with comedy and trying to figure out how to be, how to be more honest on stage and how to do a show that was actually me and not some, you know, version of me. And uh, I, I felt like jumping on the, I needed to tackle the elephant in the room in the back of my brain anyway. And that is the A word autism. And, uh, so I dug into it and, um, I, at, for a few years at that point had been a Marxist, a, a leftist. And, uh, with the, that new analysis sort of in mind, I was able to look at autism in a new light and really understand what it is, which is not a, a, you know, virus in people's brains or blood. It's, it's a social construction that has eugenic origins. Mm. Um, yeah. So before we get started with the, the, those origins, you mentioned you were a, uh, comedian uh-huh. and, uh, I also have some, uh, I'm also friends with the, the comic troupe Asperger's are us who had a, right. a show on HBO and they're really funny. I really recommend, oh, and they've got a documentary on uh, I think it's on Netflix. Yeah. Um, I, I really recommend checking out Asperger's are us and, uh, the, the music and comedy of, of Noah Britton. Uh, but who are some of your autism guys? Oh, that's tough. Um, Noah Britton would probably be up there. Uh, but as far as people have been diagnosed with autism, is Daryl Hannah, mm. I'm pretty sure was diagnosed. Uh, Spielberg, uh, I guess, would be up. David Byrne, honestly, would that was my first concert when I was 13. Uh, would be was David Byrne, and he was diagnosed with Asperger's. So. There you go. All white people, All which right. is not my fault. That's this just we're diagnosed more. And uh, we, we won't speculate too much on which comedian throughout history probably had Asperger's because that's that's something some people like to do. But uh, that's maybe that's not really our lane. Well, yeah, I mean, my thing is like you can do that with literally everyone. Right. Like if you sit somebody down and ask them questions long enough, then they will, you can come up with a diagnosis for them that will be on the spectrum. You know, yeah. in theory, everyone's on the spectrum. Uh, there are no really clear dividing lines about what side is which of the spectrum. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think anybody is neurotypical, so to speak. Yeah. And we'll get into what that means. Uh, but I will say that I'm a little bit convinced by the theory that Andy Kaufman was neurodivergent. Yeah, I mean, he was wacky. Uh, I would give him that. And he, like, for, for his character Latka, he invented a whole language for it and, like, insisted mm-hmm. that, uh, I forgot her name, but the woman who played Latka's wife learned the language and he would, you know, critique her if he wasn't pronouncing the fake language wrong. And, you know, a lot of stories like that. It's, like, very right. obsessive about the details of his characters. And, yeah, that doesn't yeah. mean that he's he was on the spectrum, but... Well, he's a mastermind, and usually masterminds are like designing what missile systems or something, you know, something like that. Mm. Uh, and he's doing something that has no apparent 
usefulness to anyone and is in many ways an annoyance to many people. Uh, and so it's hard to like look at it in the same light as like, you know, Beethoven. Yeah. So you said you think Beethoven was autistic? I, I mean, as we'll get into, I, you know, it's, it's really, I don't think it's super fruitful to like go back into history and say, Oh, this person is this modern invention that, you know, didn't exist at their time. Yeah. But possibly. So you're saying Edison was, or Tesla <laughs> was autistic. Tesla. Yeah. That I will say Tesla's autistic, uh, which is why Elon Musk coined the name for this car. They felt uh, it, being part of being on the spectrum is you just have a connection with people through time and space and uh, you, you name your products after them. You could be like uh, one of the, the nation of uh, uh, Israel people. What, what are the what are those people? The Black Israelites. The black like, they say that yeah. like every every great person throughout history was actually black. But you could say that you know, mm. uh, you know, King Henry the Eighth was autistic, and uh, Moses <laughs> right. was autistic, and such. Yeah, I mean, in a way, that's that could be true. You know, like as yeah, the, they it. say, the commitments. The Irish are the blacks of Europe. So what if they had a different definition of blackness, like? 200 years ago and you know napoleon was actually considered black for some strange reason yeah, marx moses was, was like swarthy in complexion mm-hmm. so you know moses was always pissed off at everybody because they didn't understand him yeah <laughs> all right so without further ado uh let's go back to uh, uh vienna austria in 1911 um you know hitler and trotsky and lenin all playing chess together you know it's uh-huh. We don't play chess three way anymore, but back then in, in old Vienna, you do that. Wow. they had three way chess, and uh, you know Mao was there, and uh, Pol Pot, they were all there in, in uh, Vienna, right? And uh, also a guy named uh, Hans Asperger was there, right? So to back up a little bit, uh, Red Vienna, I believe, began in the nineteen teens. Um, and around that time in Switzerland was the first clinical use officially on, on record of the term autism. And that was by Eugen Bluler, who was, uh, a Swiss psychiatrist, um, who actually treated schizophrenia, uh, which is a, a concept he came up with, which has all sorts of historical uh, blood on its hands with uh, social control and shit like that. Um, but autism to him was a variant of schizophrenia. So an autistic patient, it was really what we would now consider, and this is not my term, but we would now call it low functioning autistic people who uh, were, were inwards, uh, inward re- reacting and looking. So the term autism comes from the Greek word autos, which means self. So that's what being autistic meant. I think it means car. Uh, it meant car too. Yeah. So there was some confusion there. They thought they were magic car people, um, which is not the case. But uh, yeah, so it came from, it, it, it was considered like an extreme selfishness or just self-absorption at first. Uh, and then, it, yeah, moving on to Red Vienna, you have uh, Hans Asperger and people in that sort of milieu who are using autism sort of informally to describe patients who are like that. Um, but Hans Asperger starts 
working at a clinic in the twenties or thirties. And this is, um, at first he is not a fan of diagnoses, particularly diagnoses for children. Uh, he, he just don't, doesn't think you can really accurately sum somebody up when they're, you know, six, which is a pretty fair point. Um, and then something happens to him and to the rest of Red Vienna. Uh, the Nazis roll in from Europe, from Germany, knock it over, plant the Nazi flag. Uh, Red Vienna is was called that because it was uh, socialist. Uh, I'm trying to. It's um, the it's a complex sort of system, but it it's, uh, was in many ways nationalist even before the Nazis came in. Asperger himself was a member of an anti-liberal, anti-Jewish, anti-communist party. Um, it was not the Nazi party, but there were a lot of those kicking around just in that region at the time. The Nazis were not, you know, it wasn't clear they would be the one to, to take power that any of them would. So uh, so the Nazis come in and Asperger says, uh, says what? So he changes his tune. So all of a sudden, he's like, you know what? Actually, we can have diagnoses. Uh, these kids, some of them who were brought to him from the places throughout the Third Reich who are like misbehaving and they're just not really uh, f- fitting in with the, the Volk, which means, you know, like German people, Volk, um, because they lacked another German word, Gemüt. Uh, which is G-E-M-U-T, which is one of those untranslatable German words. And it basically means like social feeling and or cohesion. Hmm. So uh, sort of a, in a way, charisma or um, likability or, or whatever. Uh, so they, they lack that. And so they need to find it. Uh, or if they can't find it, they get offed, which did happen many times. Asperger is sort of remembered by a lot of people, hopefully less now, but by a lot of people, he's he's remembered as sort of an Oscar Schindler type who saved kids from being killed. And it's possible that that happened, but we don't know that it did. We do know he sent many kids to their deaths, either at concentration camps or at uh, places like Spiegelgrund, which is was a clinic uh, where kids were basically starved to death. And were they labeled as azotial, like antisocial, or were they labeled as mentally ill or something like that? So his diagnosis, the term was autistic psychopathy, psychopathy, uh-huh. psychopathy, excuse me. So he literally called them psychopaths. And the, the, the uh, translation's a bit different. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean your, um, you know, someone who kills people or gets off on killing people. It's uh, it's actually sort of how people use it colloquially today in America. It's like, you ordered pancakes and Sprite? Are you a psychopath? <laughs> you know, like that type of thing. Like you're a weirdo, you are antisocial. Uh, yeah. So that was his invention, was autistic psychopath- psychopathy. But in many ways, this was not a brilliant innovation or anything because he was just kind of filling in the blanks that other some of his colleagues had kind of set up. And at first, he really just had no interest in even making any diagnosis. But because of the Nazis uh, and some of the historians have argued that the Nazi regime was a, a in many ways, first and foremost, a diagnostic regime. 
because they had to classify every single citizen in a certain way. Um, because of that, he, he came up with it. And so uh, when the war was over, it was uh, seen as this break, big atrocity and, and no longer could the, the term autism be used again. Until... <laughs> yes, one would hope. Um, yeah, for maybe a very brief period, it's not used. Although, so some of those early uses of autism and study of autistic type patients um, is it's, it's so weird how central Austria is to all this stuff because there's a guy, Lee O'Connor, who goes from uh, Austria to America to be a doctor um, and he's studying autism and he's basically sort of the inventor of it in the United States or the, the bringer of it to America. And he is also studying, unlike Asperger, he's studying the quote unquote low functioning mute people, uh, people who struggle, who, who really can't uh, have any dependence. Um, that's who he's talking about. So that's how autism is used after the war for about 40 years. Um, so in like the the 50s, 60s, 70s, it's a very small percentage of kids who are getting diagnosed with autism or people at all. Uh, and at first, they want some explanation for it. You know, there have been people like that forever, right? And, you know, I'm not in any way suggesting that those issues are not real, right? That there are people who are mute and there are people who uh, need to live, to need to have, you know, assistance from the family or caretakers. Uh, but what they have is not the, the way you classify them is, is invented, right? That's a construction of, of autism. It's, it's, a, it's just a label, right? They're, they are themselves dependent, not dependent on that, that label. Um, yeah, and schizophrenia so, is a similar diagnosis, right? Because yeah. it's just sort of a, you know, an addition of several symptoms. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's so. very subjective. And um, autism in particular has been compared to uh, this is Edith Sheffer again, who, uh, a lot of this information I got from a, an amazing book. If you, if you're interested by anything I'm saying, uh, in this episode, then please check out Asperger's children by Edith Sheffer. And she has compared autism to female hysteria in the sense that there are some like legitimate maladies or issues there but they're sort of mixed in with all these cultural expectations uh, and sexist attitudes and whatnot. Um, so that's how you get something like female hysteria, which we don't use anymore. It doesn't mean that everyone diagnosed with female hysteria at the time was problem-free, although I'm sure there were many of them. Uh, but it does mean that now we have a more accurate way of helping them with their issues, hopefully. Uh, so in the fifties, there's a term that comes about, um, which also plays, plays into sort of the patriarchal narrative, and that is refrigerator mothers. And this is by a dude also from Austria who's immigrated to the United States named Dr. B. His full name is two Bs, Bruno Bettelheim. And by trade, he is sort of a researcher of fairy tales. He loves fairy tales. He thinks that they explain psychology and the human race, basically. Um, but he becomes pretty well-renowned in the U.S. as a doctor. And his theory is that the reason for kids being, quote-unquote, severely autistic 
is because of these refrigerator mothers, uh, women who are cold to their children. And as a result, the children are socially impaired and can't communicate with others. Not because uh, they're w- built like a refrigerator. And no, that would be cooler too. If they're all like, uh, what's the guy who played for the bears? They're the, <laughs> the fridge fairy. Yeah. If everyone was just an amazing, uh, linebacker. Um, but it turns out shock of all shocks that this guy is actually full of shit. His theory is bunk. And he actually doesn't even have scientific credentials at all. He's just made this thing up entirely. Um, kind of sounds like Jordan Peterson. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I'm oh a lot like him. Yeah, especially with the fairy tales. That's right. Um, yeah, I would not be surprised if Peterson has drawn on Battleheim for some of his work. Um. So yeah. Moving forward, as I said, autism was not used very often for those 40 years, about until the 1980s. And that is when a there's a British psychiatrist named Morna Wing, and she is actually uh, somewhat of a contemporary of, of Hans Asperger. And you'll notice you don't hear a lot about the guy Hans Asperger. You just hear kind of the Schindler's List story. But this is a guy who... Uh, really didn't do anything else after he coined this sort of obscure phrase, uh, autistic psychopathy. He went back to his job in, you know, children's, children's, uh, care medicine and, uh, was really not at no point in his life. Was he ever a notable guy at no point were people going to him really for quotes or for insight or anything. He was just a pencil pusher who happened to be in the right place or the wrong place depending on how you look at it, at the right or wrong time. Um, so Lorna Wing has a daughter, I believe, who, who has some issues, but she doesn't quite think that autism really sums them up. And so she's looking for some other explanation, and she comes across Asperger's research. And she uh, has tea with him and asks him, like, maybe this, there's like a connection here. Maybe there's a connection between people who can't talk like that Connor is studying and your kids, the autistic psychopaths, maybe there's some, some link between them. Maybe they're on a spectrum and Asperger actually rejected that idea. He, he said, no, they had nothing to do with each other. My children were many of them brilliant. Uh, they just needed a little bit of discipline or whatever. And then they were uh, acclimated back into German life when they showed how useful they could be to the Volk. Um, so that's what he thought. And, Wing said, yeah, okay, all right. And then about a year later, Asperger dies. And so she coins this new term called Asperger's syndrome. So before the early 80s, no one used the term Asperger's at all, really. Even Asperger did not, he was not an eponymous name. Again, his term was psychopathy, autistic psychopathy. Uh, So Asperger's comes into lexicon in like the early 80s. And for a while, um, it becomes sort of the high-functioning pole of the autism spectrum. And through and increasingly through the 80s and into the 90s, when I was a kid, um, this idea of the spectrum gets po- more popularized and popularized. This idea right. that, uh, oh, well, the, on one hand, there's uh, someone who can't talk. And on the other, there's uh, Anders Lee who gets pissed in his pants and is a loser, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's not necessarily, I mean, I'm not going to say there's never any connection between 
the quote unquote high and low functioning people, but there is no necessary one. So this idea that there is a spectrum is totally made up, right? Uh, There's really no science to back that up. Like we know very little about DNA in general, but the idea that you can trace, you know, a, all, everyone who's been diagnosed subjectively with having autism together on some sort of continuum is just scientifically nonsense. Yeah. I mean, there's always this, uh, even with sexuality, there's an idea that like the spectrum is a better uh, conceptual framework for it, but that still implies two definite poles and and, like several gradations in between, which just isn't necessarily the case, especially if you're talking about, you know, things that are more fluid, uh, like sexuality or, and gender, or, you know, the, the various kinds of things that make a person unique in their character. Exactly. There's so many irreducible factors that go into shaping a person's psyche. Many of them are environmental. Uh, many of them are genetic and there's, very hard to, to trace back and find out much about. Um, so, you know, some times people will say, okay, well, it, there, there is a spectrum, but you're right. It's not a continuum. It's like, it's not a line. It's a circle. And it's like, okay, well then who's not on the circle. And that's what I really, this is what I always challenge people who, who don't agree with this to, to come up with is what, what is a really not autistic person? Cause you take any um, trait of autism and you reduce it to, you know, the most extreme and you do the opposite of it. And that's also autistic. Right. So like I'm an extremely messy person uh, in doctors or whatever have said at various times. Oh, that's well, that's your autism acting up. You're you're uh, you can't keep track of your keys because you're autistic. Uh, but what, what about the other end of that? What about people who panic attacks when like one thing is out of place and everything is like filed and extremely neat and organized and it's like a problem that they're that obsessive that that can also be considered autism. So there's no way of really escaping the spectrum, which is if you're going to, you know, accept that then fine, but then you can't reinforce this idea that you have an autistic identity and someone else is who doesn't is like oppressing you. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's also, I I think it's a convenient way to think about it because I think science has kind of engendered this logic of uh, everything comes down to genes and like brain chemistry. And I know a lot of scientists will tell you that just like everything in your life is predetermined. The world is just totally mechanistic and uh, you know, we have no free will nonsense like that. You know, I'm going to make the the claim that that is not, that is actually nonsense. We do have free will. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, an aspect of why we are who we are isn't necessarily that we chose it, but it's just called character. It's just various things in our lives, including genetics, uh, right. shaped who we are. And so the idea of you can just find the autistic gene or the gay gene or the asshole yeah. gene or whatever, and you know, and just treat things like they were a disease, uh, or you know, push people back to a higher standard is you know a pernicious ideology that we you and i are fighting against right now we're on the front lines yeah someone's got to do it yeah i mean and it's absolutely uh gender and race play a huge role in this too uh because i should mention that you know and you'll read you'll see this if you read asperger's children uh asperger was one of the first people to sort of popularize the idea that 
autism is a guy thing, right? It just, he actually thought that his patients, the really bright sort of recalcitrant boys were just really boyish, you know, like they literally had an excess of masculinity that made them geniuses, but also thwarted their empathy, you know, because he's going back to that classic idea that women have natural empathy centers or whatever, and men are, are systematizers, uh, which is still pervasive and still something that um, an autism researcher like Simon Baron Cohen, who's related to Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, is still saying today. He thinks he, he keeps driving home this point that, uh, well, men are have systematizing minds and women have uh, emotive minds. And it's like, well, okay, what about this counterexample? Well, that doesn't really count. Um, so, and, and yeah, those terms are just so vague that you can like poke holes in them and like, you know, emotional, emotional, you know, intelligence is a system and you systematize emotions, right? Like how do you really separate the two? Um, but so the, I, but to, to return to that point, uh, the reason goes back to As- Asperger for this uh, discrepancy in men being diagnosed with autism. And he even thought not only was it more common in men, that it was impossible for women to have autism. He thought that this was not a thing. Uh, so if there's a woman who had autistic traits, and this is, again, it can always be subjective. It, it, whether or not you get an autism diagnosis depends uh, in large part on your doctor. Uh, he would get sent female patients and he'd say, uh, and I'm not kidding here. He would be like, well, they're, I think they're on their period. Wow. Like that's what he thought is that they're just menstruating and they're out of control. Their hormones are raging and not like they have a different brain from what's suspected of them. You usually think of a a doctor as a learned and studious individual who's, uh, you know, at least up to date with uh, the basics of human physiology, but, uh, Right. We're, t- we're talking about some kind of dumb doctors in this story. Yeah, there's there are a dime a dozen, you know, even today. Uh, it's, you know, it's obviously a very difficult thing to do. Uh, I could never be a doctor, but there is an institutional creep, right? Maybe you're technically very uh, proficient and whatever, but when it comes to like theorizing stuff, their word is no good, no better than anyone else. And uh, so speaking of the, the medical industry and its many crimes against humanity, mm-hmm. uh You've also around this time got the uh, an explosion in diagnosis diagnoses yeah. of autism and Asperger's and various spectral disorders, and uh, I think uh, you'll agree with me that it's no coincidence that there's also a uh, a large increase in vaccinations around uh, that time. Yeah. Yes, we're we're coming into spicy territory here. Uh. Yeah. So uh, parody spicy territory. We don't actually believe that. Uh, oh, not, OK. Do not ban us. From, <laughs> can we get kicked off of Patreon for being anti-vax? I think we probably could, but we, w- we wouldn't because we're not. We're just kidding. Well, yes, I do have like a spicy take on that. That's like spicy enough to where you could still fill your tongue, but it will still you will still need to like douse it in Coca-Cola. Uh, and I'll, I'll edit it out if it's uh, if it's if it's too spicy for my tastes. Okay, but I'll warn you that I enjoy sriracha sauce, so I can go pretty spicy. Okay, yeah, me too. Um, so my spicy take with the vaccine thing is my my folks have gone through the anti-vax phase. They are 
vaccine skeptics. They are both vaccinated now for COVID, but there was a time in my life where I was prohibited from getting vaccines. Um, and, you know, people say, oh, they're, that's just bougie suburban people. But I don't think that's really true. I mean, that's who is active. That That's who has the time to set up an anti-vaccine group. But it's actually a pretty big portion of the population who's skeptical of vaccines and for good reason now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the thing I, my personal opinion on it is autism is a diagnosis, right? So whether, and there's again, so much we don't know about the brain, about chemistry, about genes, all that stuff. So whether or not somebody could be vaccinated in theory and have an adverse reaction to it that would result in a behavior that might be considered autistic, uh, I don't think you can rule out definitively. I just don't think that's possible because it's such a, it just can mean anything. So I, I, I my position is I think people should get vaccinated it's not worth the risk not to, but it, there's still so much we don't know that I don't, you know, I, I am really not a fan of this sort of um, this uh, this fact check mindset of like, well, we know for a fact that vaccines don't cause autism uh, and that's the way it is. Uh, I refuse to elaborate on what I mean by any of that, you know, because uh, it is more complicated than that. But there's we're not going to know for probably several decades what the what the full picture is um i I certainly can't refute that but uh yeah um but yeah you're right so to the idea that just more things were being uh added to the spectrum yes just uh more people were being labeled as autistic um and possibly more people had those symptoms as a result of you know various changes in in modern life Right, but it didn't yes. necessarily mean that suddenly everybody, like the 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 classic anti-vax narrative is like you get vaccinated for measles and the next day, even, oh my kid's autistic. He's you know, his hair is right. all messed up. He's obsessed with trains and such. Right, and there's some misconceptions that uh, I got to be sort of careful here, but that's people close to me have sort of fallen into that. Uh, well, we didn't. He wasn't like this before the vaccine. Well, a lot of developmental issues don't really show up until after you're vaccinated, or sorry, after a certain age. So, you know, what I was like when I was one, and what I was like when I was four, what, what I'm like when I'm four. There, there's changes that happen irregardless of of you know a chemical shot. Um, and yeah, so another and another sort of misconception that I think a lot of anti-vaxxers have is exactly that point that. Uh, the category is expanding. So more and more behaviors and people are being labeled as on the spectrum or autistic. And so that makes it appear that there's something in the air, there's something in the water, there's some chemical out there that's increasing rates of autism. Uh, and, you know, my mom would always point out, well, well how come how come Somali people don't have autism? You know, the, the autism rates are very low because they don't have the mercury in the junk food. It's like, well, because they don't sit around diagnosing each other with like a million different things. They, they just are. They, 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 you know, they don't need the, the same labels we, we need or have. Um, so that's yeah, that's something to really keep in mind that uh, this is the 90s. And uh, it's I don't know if it's really gotten better or worse. I think it's somewhat calmed down the sort of the diagnosis craze because it's not just Asperger's. It was 
all the shit I was diagnosed with and a thousand things more, including things like oppositional defiance disorder, which was uh, disproportionately diagnosed in uh, black kids. Um, not because they have different brains, but because of social factors, you know, environmental factors. Uh, and people don't take that into account enough. Uh, and actually that disorder, quote unquote disorder, goes back to uh, slavery. Um, that was what they would diagnose slaves with. So the, the art of diagnosis and science it, are really impossible to separate from things like economics and culture and society at large. Um, that's important to remember. So I, I feel like it has hopefully gotten somewhat better uh, and more people understand this now. Um, but it's again, it's like people don't really see it as a way of framing something so much as changes in the people themselves or whatever. Uh, so in 2013, uh, and this goes back to me, frankly, because I, you know, I have always struggled with how to identify because I never was openly identified as autistic because I was very deeply ashamed of it. Uh, and then when the time came to sort of be open about my diagnosis, I don't know what to call myself, really. I, 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 I really identify as an idiot, but I could say, which is like, according to the person I trained with, what, what a clown is, is a beautiful idiot. So hopefully that's what I'm, I'm fulfilling in some respect. But, but the way it was uh, sort of morphed as of late and the way it's starting to be reconsidered now is just, it, it's, it's a little broader, which I think might be an improvement and might not be. Uh, so in 2013, the, uh, the, DSM, which is a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders or whatever, which for a while, pretty recently, like the 80s, that dis ego, dystonic, homosexuality was a part of that. So, you know, again, society, culture, all factor in. Um, but in 2013, they merged my diagnosis, Pedidnos, uh, with Asperger's. So they became one. So now it like... I don't know what, you know, could I say I have Asperger's? I guess. You got grandfathered uh, in. What's that? It's like you got grandfathered in. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I'm retroactively aut autistic. I mean, at the time in the 90s, and it was, I was told that I am on the spectrum that I am autistic. But the, the explanation was, well, you just have like a little bit or you have a, a reasonable amount of the autism. So I'm like, okay, so it's like a cancer and I have, you know, 24% of my body is autistic and then the rest is neurotypical or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, the go current diagnosis, generally speaking, is autistic spectrum disorder, ASD. And that's uh, what people, I guess, are sort of clinging to now. Although, you know, Asperger's got eliminated with PDN PDDNOS, at least in the US, but there's still a ton of people who identify as Aspies. Um, and, you know, it's hard for me to tell anybody what to call themselves, you know, uh, if you really want to, because, and I should be sure to acknowledge that there have been a lot of good things that have come out of autistic self-advocacy and um, medical research in some cases. And if you go to countries where there's universal health care, um, you actually, if you get that autism diagnosis, you get help with stuff. 
Uh, doesn't mean there's something in your brain that makes you autistic, but it's, it's, I don't blame anybody for seeking out that diagnosis if they're in, in duress um, and they need that help. But in my kind of perfect world, I think everybody should have that automatically. We should just have a medical system. We should have an educational system that takes into account neurodiversity and different sensory profiles and cognition and all that stuff and realizes that everyone is unique and it's going to have certain needs uh, that are totally individual. Um, but until that time, yeah, uh, people are probably going to keep calling themselves autistic. I, I don't, I, I wish, and I, you know, I'm the reason I talk about this stuff is because I think there are more people out there like me who, who don't know how to identify, who, who actually don't feel, uh, very good about the way they've been sort of pigeonholed because, I, I noticed this particularly in people who are diagnosed at an older age where it's like, this is, yes, this is such a cathartic thing. I knew there was something wrong. Uh, and that's, you know, I'm not going to shit on that, but like, you're just you and you got a name for it. And there's some other people who got the same name, whether or not they have anything to do with you is, you know, is going to be case by case. Yeah. Or, um, or the flip side of that is somebody is undiagnosed and they likely could you know, shop around and find the diagnosis, it, right. it might be harder for them or it might be easy. But uh, without the diagnosis, they can't, uh, you know, nobody could like excuse their behavior or something like that. Right. Like, do you think the diagnosis should really change your perception of a person? No, I don't. I mean, because it's, it's, you know, I've talked to people who, well, number one, I've talked, had met so many people who have never been diagnosed with anything, who have terrible social skills. And like, I'm much better at, at, you know, conversation or whatever it may be than this person who's supposedly normal and I'm not. Uh, and then, and they go through life fine. They don't need uh, a diagnosis. Right. Um, but you know, when I meet somebody who I can tell is like off um, and maybe like a bit rude without meaning to be rude, then I, you know, I just don't think it's, you should have to like demand to see their medical records uh, in order to be like, okay, you're a bit, you know, you might need a little more patience from me than, than I would give to, to other people. Then uh, that's just based on a one-to-one thing. It's just, you know, you have to view people as the individuals that they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're not talking about anyone specific, but I just want to say, I, I appreciate uh, that you treat people that way. That's, and it's a good, <laughs> yes. And uh, if I've ever been, accidentally rude to anybody i i apologize i don't want to treat people that way uh i don't think i'm autistic um but i could be you have you have andyism yeah exactly i don't want to um i don't i don't need to have that diagnosis or non-diagnosis standing in the way of me meditating on the way that i behave and the way it affects people that's what i'm saying right exactly yeah because sometimes it becomes an excuse Mm -hmm. you know um it we come, well, we, we, no, there's nothing we can do. You know, Jim has to come in with his pants off and grab everybody on the boob. Like, uh, that's, he has a condition, you know, <laughs> like, no, Jim might need a little bit more patience, but he can learn not to do that. But yeah, I, it's fine. I forgot to do, we were going to do a bit because this actually happened in real life where Andy thought that, uh, I was saying that he was autistic. Uh, <laughs> the bit the bit would be that you would be describing traits of autism and then you would say, and hey, you know, you know about that. Like, 
you know, yeah, you know, or like us, as people right? like us know, but I guess you weren't totally comfortable doing that. I forgot about it. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, well, we're going to have to record the episode over to do <laughs> that great bit. Um, well, I wanted to, to mention uh, an anecdote, uh, something that you wrote in your article for Mad in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I guess it's like a spinoff of Mad Magazine. Uh, <laughs> the article it's... called I Don't Believe in Autism. Or, uh, and it's got like a picture of you saying, what, me worry about autism? <laughs> and the, I mean, I look like the like uh, Alfred E. Newman, so and, you know, there Alfred you go. E. Newman, I mean, yeah. need I say more? But um, <laughs> you say that uh, at time. So since you've got this diagnosis and you've been uh, more more open about it, some people are like, "Oh, of course," you know, that explains right. everything. And some people are like, "What? No, you're not. That's fucked up." Like like, like as if you're a poser. Yes, I've had people. Uh, to give you the antifada exclusive, I guess there was actually an anarchist I was dating who was an Italian. Uh, and, uh, she, I told her this because she's somebody who studied Foucault and all this stuff. And she was really one of the first people I ever told that I had gotten this diagnosis. And she's like, you want to not autistic. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody is. She's like, well, no, you are not autistic. You cannot say that. It's like calling yourself. And then she said the N word, uh, so you cannot say uh, the N word. Only, yeah, only I can say it because I'm a right. I and I was like, you can't say that. She's like, yes, I can. You cannot because you are American. Um, so I didn't really know what to say because it's like I don't, I don't, I'm not telling you that I'm autistic. I don't know. I like it doesn't. Like, I, first of all, you're the like one of the first people I've ever told about this. Uh, so I'm clearly not like going around saying, you know, give me extra sympathy. Uh, to everybody, maybe I, maybe subconsciously as I was doing that to her, I don't know. But uh, second of all, like who, like I didn't choose this label; it was given to me. And like you, oh yeah, you don't. You, she, this is someone you've known me for like a few months. So, and this happens a lot where someone uh, and people who do identify as autistic, they they get told, "Well, I, you don't seem autistic to me," uh, and. If you develop at a slower rate as a child, you get stamped with the, the A word and that's with you for life. Uh, and maybe you have issues as an adult, but people see you as an adult and they're like, well, that doesn't apply to you. That's they, that, that must have been a misdiagnosis. And it's like, no, it was a diagnosis of a certain person at a certain place in time who goes through changes like everybody else. Um, so that, yeah, that kind of, there's... Both reactions are annoying, but it, it always happens, you know, any of those three ways where I guess it's really three reactions where people are either like, yeah, OK, I get that. Yeah, you're definitely autistic. I could see that a mile away. Or they're like, what? No, no, you're not. That that was that must be a mistake. Poor you. You shouldn't be, you know, labeled with that. Or the third one is, uh, fuck you for saying that you're, uh, yeah, you're a poser. You're try, you're a try hard, and you're trying to get sympathy. Which is, uh, honestly, if I had to go with one, it would be that one yeah. because I do get, and again, this is an Andersley exclusive. I do get pretty annoyed on social media with autism advocacy people just talking about, you know, how oh. Only other autistic people get me. Neurotypicals don't get it. You know, uh, sort of playing the victim thing. With that, that does really frustrate me. 
Um, so if you have to react some way, I guess do that. And then hopefully the person will be patient with you uh, for being an asshole. Yeah, so let's get into that a little bit. Um, you, uh, yeah, the, the article, like I said, is I don't believe in autism. And um, I imagine you did get a lot of negative reactions from that. What do you, uh, what, what are some of the common criticisms? I, I guess maybe you could like uh, capitulate that that thesis again. I think you spell it out over the course of the episode, but maybe you can say mm-hmm. that again. And then like how uh, people in the, the autism community tend to react. Um, well, I was actually surprised about the amount of pushback I got because I was expecting a lot. And when the article first came out, there was really nothing. Um, maybe a comment or two on like Facebook, but uh, it was kind of just the silence. Like I was hoping to really stir the pot and get people enraged at me. Um, but in the time since then, there has been some criticisms that have come up. I did. Uh, a solo show with when I was, was presenting this thesis sort of comedically. Um, and it, it is, you know, as I've been saying, the bottom line is, uh, there is no essential quality that makes some people autistic and other people not. That's just a fact. And sort of the pushback on that has been, well, yes, there is. And then I'll ask, okay, what is it? And they don't know. Um, it's kind of a, you know, it when you see it type of thing. Um, so there definitely there is a danger in misinterpreting what I'm saying and kind of going the like Michael Savage route, who is a, a right wing commentator who recently said um, that or not so recently, like the decade ago, was talking about autistic kids need to drop the act uh, as if they they can actually just be normal and they're choosing not to be. Um, and that's reprehensible. And, uh, yeah, I don't want anyone to think that's what I'm suggesting at all. Um, but I, what I do want is people to understand the historical context and, uh, and really ask themselves, like, what is this label? Why do you need this label? What is it doing for you that it's just a better world wouldn't, wouldn't give you, um, which, you know, is, is something I struggle with, too, because, like, I put on my, you know, podcaster sort of analyst writer hat and I don't, I don't believe in autism, but I put on my, you know, political organizer hat and I don't want to go to I mean, I, I'm all for protesting groups like Autism Speaks, but I don't want to go to like some autistic pride convention or something and say, like, you're not autism isn't real. You're fake in it or, or like or say it's a construct and like protest against people or try to get the, you know, I mean, I, I hope the label is taken away from diagnostic uh, criteria, but like, I think a better priority politically would probably be to, to organize with people who have similar challenges. And if you want to call each other autistic, that's fine. Uh, my hope is in the future that it's just not necessary. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, I'm sorry. no, that was great. Um, I just want to, uh, we mentioned the terms neurodiversity and neurotypical mm-hmm. before. Uh, can you just I- explain what the what that means? So neurodiversity is actually a term I like. Um, and it came about in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. And it was sort of this idea that just like ethnicity or religion, uh your neuro, your neurological system is 
across, I guess, a spectrum, if you will, that everyone has a different sort of mind. And we should be tolerant of people who do things that, you know, we're, we're taught are abnormal, uh, repetitive behaviors, stimming, something I do. I, I, I flap my hands, uh, which I actually didn't do. I, I suppressed in myself for a long time. And then I read this book about neurodiversity and they're like, yeah, that's a totally legitimate thing to do. That's some people, the fidget spinners, some people slap their hands. There's nothing good or bad about it. It just, I mean, it is good, honestly. Um, so things like, yeah, just being more aware of the fact that uh, most people do not really fit into sort of the cookie cutter um, expectations that society has about when it comes to school, when it comes to work focus and all these other things. And this is sort of being embraced uh, in society, right? Usually it comes to like, Oh, we have an, we have an autism friendly workplace. Right. And that means, you know, you've got bouncy balls and it's low lighting or whatever. Uh, and that's great. But, but again, I think it needs to be more individualized than that and not reinforcing these, these sort of binaries, um, but neurodiversity as a concept, I think is a really important one and something that we should embrace. Uh, but we have to be clear about what we mean by it, which is that everybody's has their own sort of cognition, right? There are really no normal people. Everybody's got something kind of, uh, you know, there's, there's you, just the, the categories of weird and normal are just not helpful. Um, so you think of it as just a, bunch of individuals with different brains and we got to, we have to accept and and embrace uh, the differences and um, shun people who try to stigmatize them. And and so would you uh, also argue with the term neurotypical? That one I, I do argue with. Uh, So I like neurodiversity just as a, a belief, just as a value um, of being open to neurodiversity. I don't really think there, I, I don't really, quite uh, think that we it's helpful to say that there are neurodiverse people because that implies that there's a neurotypical person and that's really what i take issue with is that there's uh somebody out there who is like totally competent at everything and excels in everything that they do and just life is just treating them fine um not to say that there are not people like that Right. But they are not the norm. That is an abnormal person. So if anything, they should be labeled. Right. And and sometimes they are. A lot of autistic people are like, oh, you're so like normal and good at everything. Like there must be something about that guy. He's he's autistic, I think, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it winds up being that. So uh, I guess if there has to be some label. uh if somebody really has an issue, um, I mean, my personal preference is that you just describe the issue. Um, so I want to end with uh, thinking a little bit about the, you know, with, with neurodiversity, uh, with any kind of diversity, you uh, get these questions of representation. Mm-hmm. And in the last, uh, you know, five, 10 years, uh, the, the, I, the the diagnosis of Asperger's has become very popularly known in pop culture. There have been more characters that are explicitly uh, on the spectrum, like, uh, you know, apparently some guy in The Big Bang Theory. I've never seen that show. Um, but uh, Michael Berry uh, 
portrayed by Christian Bale in The Big Short. I think that's the character's name. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Um, he's. Uh, I don't think they say in the movie that he's autistic, but um, Christian Bale said something about how he had to learn a lot about autism to to play the role, and that mm-hmm. was like kind of the idea of the character. Um, and of course, in the world of online radical politics on the right and left, 4chan or what have you, uh, you know, there's this idea of weaponized autism that 4chan has. Um, yeah, what do you think about this like uh, sudden awareness of autism, or uh, is it is it really an awareness? Is it just kind of like a new mythologizing of it? Well, I think it's just the the latest phase of of autism, uh, which has the definition has changed many times over the years, um, or sort of the way we understand it, what we see as the autistic subject and what, yeah. So someone like Michael Berry, I think is the ultra neoliberal subject, right? It just has no regard for other people and, uh, is just totally self-interested, uh, which is, you know, what you're supposed to be. So this is, I think in some ways kind of like, the extreme of a system where people are taught to be hyper individualized and, uh, and, you know, uh, antisocial. Um, and it's different from, I think the, the reason it's celebrated more now, not the only reason I don't want to be reductive about it, but a big reason that it's celebrated now is because you can use autistic people, quote unquote, you can use people who get these diagnoses who are really just hyper subjects of the economic system they live under. Um, you can use them to, to design things in Silicon Valley and do all sorts of great, you know, uh, technical things on computers and whatnot, right? That's great for capitalism, but it was not good for fascism, uh, because they were not fitting into the, the Volk. And so, uh, you know, in the Nazi Third Reich, there was sort of collectivism gone awry, um, and now we have individualism gone awry, and those are kind of the two uh, different ways we we conceive of of autism. But um, yeah, as far as representation, and uh, I think you see more and more people seeing themselves in autistic characters uh, because those those issues are actually pretty widespread. Uh, so you'll see. A lot of times people like Jerry Seinfeld, I remember him saying like, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm on the spectrum. Didn't get any testing or anything, but he's, he's heard enough about it. Uh, or you have someone like Chris Rock who sits down for, you know, two days of, of intense, hyper expensive testing and gets a, the same diagnosis I got, which is kind of hilarious. But um, so, yeah, I think the it's it's sort of being generalized, right? You have more and more people identifying with autistic characters because the the things that they're struggling with are not unique to people who are diagnosed with autism. They're just things. They're just issues. They're they're uh, cognitive profiles that a lot of different people have. Uh, and the way we sort those people into autistic or neurotypical is pretty arbitrary at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, so yeah, the, the the Chris Rock coming out as autistic. <laughs> That made me think of back to the name of his TV show and that everybody must be feeling pretty bad right now. <laughs> That's right. Everybody, they should change it to everybody hates the autistic kid named Chris. Yeah, or like 
Everybody used to hate Chris, and then they learned that uh, Chris is actually just a little bit different than us, and that's okay. Right. Yeah. Everybody's very patient with Chris. Uh-huh. I mean, I will say, I, I loved As- uh, Asperger's R Us, uh, which Noah was in, but I have a really hard time watching most sort of autistic content i is that a, that is probably a category now on netflix autistic genre yeah maybe. uh well, asperger's or us is great because um part of the joke is that people come to like pity them or yeah like they wear that shirt it's like they, i don't they make a lot of jokes about how they were born without a soul or whatever <laughs> but then the sketches are actually just kind of like absurdist kids in the hall style sketches uh right. that are just like funny on their own regard and you know it's not it's not like uh the the kind of comedian who like does these impressions of their ethnic parents you know it's not totally leaning on that it's just yeah it's just a group of funny people uh yeah part of the bit is that they met at a uh a a theater camp for people with autism uh cool is there anything else we should uh talk about but before we we call it a night on uh on autism awareness month um I guess yeah. I uh, I sum this all up. I think yeah. The the struggle for um, communism is really, in many ways, for me. And I think the reason it appealed to me is for a world where these sort of labels are not necessary, uh, where histories of eugenics and hate and capitalism we're not are not going to to guide us um so i think if you are a leftist i i think you should also be an autism abolitionist and again that's hard to really put in to a program you know i i i don't think it's probably that helpful to carry around signs that, that have an x through the word autism you know but to, to start talking about this, I do think it's important. Yeah, because well, I mean, like like with white abolitionism, we should uh, you know make make the caveat that the idea isn't to like get rid of white people or get rid right. of autistic people; it's to challenge the category uh, and 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 really think it through skeptically. Right. Yeah, and to to think about like what a better way of of dealing with people would be. You know, a world where we don't need these these labels at all, right? Because we could have that. You know, there's enough resources, I think, out there um, to have a world. Uh, uh, I think we have an, enough knowledge now to have a better educational system, and that's not just curriculum. That's very important. Uh, so are you know teachers' unions and all that stuff. But it's really important to think about neurodiversity in the classroom and kids are going to learn differently and we should tolerate that and accept that and uh, celebrate that. Right. Um, And that goes for for medicine, too. Uh, Some people should just get advice on sensory stuff without having to have some form they fill out that says they have, you know, a disorder. Right. Some people would benefit from wearing jeans. Uh, some people would benefit from not wearing jeans, right? This doesn't necessarily say anything else about you, but you should have access to that information mm-hmm. and to that sort of uh, 
social system that accepts you as an individual while also, um, yeah, that's, I guess the tension I would sort of leave with is that there is really, a, a, in a way, a contradiction here between the individual and the collective because uh, a reason that I do not accept autism as a category is it because is it tries to create a one size fits all sort of uh, category mm-hmm. uh, of people that don't necessarily have anything in common. They are all individuals, but to be treated uh, as an individual from your teacher, from your, you know, doctor, uh, you have to, to win that collectively yeah. and you have to care about other people collectively and you have to really um, love humanity. Uh, so that's, that's where it's at. I think is really uh, fighting for a better world where these labels are not necessary and where we, uh, and this, I don't want to go off on a whole nother can of worms about this like, philosophical quandary or whatever they call it, but uh, to balance the good parts of individualism with the good parts of collectivism and to reject and purge the bad parts of both. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, so if you're a, a doctor or uh, a teacher or you're Andrew's girlfriend, uh, please educate yourself. <laughs> on these things and um is there like a an autism advocacy group like like asan or or something that that even though you are critical you do think they are fighting the good fight and you uh, like you like what they're fighting for and the way they do it yeah i think the autistic self-advocacy network has done a lot of good stuff um i think particularly protesting autism speaks is a very important thing to do and just generating awareness that what they actually do, which is eugenics. They're trying to find a quote unquote cure, which is insane. Um, not to use another fucking (laughs) uh, loaded term. So yeah, they're good. There's a, there's some other people in Scotland who I've spoken to that I think do a lot of good work. Yeah. So like, you know, uh, institutions that are set up to help people who can't provide for themselves in general, I think is a good thing. And if they use autism in the title, that's fine. Um, and there was one place I'm trying to think of that a woman gave me a card from that was, uh, they, they, she said that we don't like labels either. And that was like, yes, but, uh, unfortunately I don't have that at the tip of my tongue. Well, if you let us know, we'll put it in the notes and we'll put uh, your Mad in America article in there and, uh, you know, links to, to your work. Why, yeah, why don't you plug your work uh, before we go? Sure, yeah. Uh, that's uh, the only article I've ever written is on Mad in America. Um, and I uh, am on Pod Damn America, sister podcast to this, and uh, also on Russian State Media with Redacted Tonight which you can find on portable.tv or YouTube. Great. Uh, Thanks a lot for educating us, Anders. Have a great rest of your special month. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. Your special month, too.